Good morning, and welcome to Awaken Church on Easter Sunday. He is risen. So if you're new uh, or you haven't been a part of our church service for a while, my name is Frank. I am one of the pastors here at Awaken Church, and we're going to have a bit of a special service today, being Easter Sunday. And we have some fun plans that we've got particularly in engaging some of the kids. So if you're a bit lost for the first minute or two, don't worry. It should all start to make sense in just a little bit. So I want to start off with an overview of what we're going to do today, Awaken Nights. And so here's how we're going to begin. Um, I want one of the parents, uh, the outdoorsian, to take your kids in just a few moments uh, to outside with the sidewalk chalk that you got in your Easter bags and on your front porch area, front sidewalk, driveway to write, he is risen, Jesus is Lord, and then to have some drawings and pictures of anything that reminds your kids of new life. So you're going to do that in just a moment. Here's the trick. I'm only going to give you seven minutes to do it, but we're not starting the clock yet. So go ahead and get the kids ready, shoes on, whatever they need, the sidewalk chalk and pick that up. For the other parents, uh, the Endorsian, your job is to H-I-D-E the E-G-G-S. So around the living room while the kids are outside and you'll also have seven minutes to accomplish that goal. And then for the rest of you, those of you who don't have young kids with you right now, let's start off by just saying, whew, Right? And then I'm going to do some adult Easter reading with you all, and we're going to spend a short time in prayer afterwards. So does everybody understand what they are going to do? So at this point, the outdoorsian parent with the kids, go ahead and get ready to take them outside, and the timer is going to start now. So go on, go ahead, head out the door. By the way, Caitlin, I love your shoes. That looks really great. And Robbie, always looking really sharp. So Noah, Corbin, and for that matter, let's go ahead and add uh, um, Miles and Nora. You guys can go ahead and uh, get a bit of chalk on your dads. That's totally okay. I'm giving you special permission to do that. All of you other kids out there, you're going to have such a fun time. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm sorry to miss out on this with you. So uh, for everybody else who's still tuned in, the indoorsian, you can go ahead and start putting the eggs out now that everybody is outside. For everyone else, I'm going to read a, a short story from a book uh, that I picked up a long time ago. No wonder they call him the Savior by Max Lucado, and it's entitled Come Home. The small house was simple but adequate. It consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red tiled roof was one of many in this poor neighborhood on the outskirts of a Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home. Maria and her daughter Christina had done what they could to add color to the gray walls and warmth to a hard dirt floor. An old calendar, a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden crucifix, the furnishings were modest, a pallet on either side of the room, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove. Maria's husband had died when Christina was an infant. The young mother, stubbornly refusing opportunities to remarry, got a job and set out to raise her young daughter. 
And now, 15 years later, the worst years were thought to be over. Though Maria's salary as a maid afforded few luxuries, it was reliable, and it did provide food and clothes. And now Christina was old enough to get a job to help out. Some said Christina got her independence from her mother. She recoiled at the traditional idea of marrying young and raising a family. Not that she couldn't have had her pick of husbands. Her olive skin and brown eyes kept a steady stream of prospects at her door. She had an infectious way of throwing her head back and filling the room with laughter. She also had that rare magic some women have that makes every man feel like a king just by being near them. But it was her spirited curiosity that made her keep all the men at arm's length. She spoke often of going into the city. She dreamed of trading her dusty neighborhood for exciting avenues and city life. Just the thought of this horrified her mother. Maria was always quick to remind Christina of the harshness of the streets. People just don't know you there. Jobs are scarce and life is cruel. And besides, if you went there, what would you do for a living? Maria knew exactly what Christina would do or would have to do for a living. That's why her heart broke when she awoke one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone. She also knew immediately what she must do to find her. So she quickly threw on some clothes, put other clothes in a bag, gathered up all of her money and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. And with her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that before were unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all. And at each place, she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked on a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter had broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade those countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Come home. She did. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus shares, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. In a few moments, I'm going to share with you this great Easter sermon. Uh, it's going to be tight. It's going to have some great points and some awesome action steps that you'll be excited to take. And we'll talk about the resurrection of Jesus. We'll talk about the hope of eternity. Uh, but before we do, I want to remind you of something. That hope shines brightest and hope is most needed when circumstances are darkest. And I just want to take a moment that if any of you are experiencing that right now, maybe even before COVID-19 ever got started, since the beginning of the year, it has been a dark and challenging time for you. Um, and yet you've made the decision this morning to dial in, log in, whatever, and uh, maybe you didn't even realize it. But uh, what it was that compelled you to log in this morning is that you're searching for hope. And then for others of you, it's not necessarily you that's going through a challenging time right now, but it's someone you know. It's someone you love. And if you're watching today, maybe you didn't even realize until right now that maybe you weren't in a place of needing to be hope receiver, but you are, you have been tasked to be a hope giver. So whether your greatest need today is to be hope receiver or hope giver, I want to begin this morning with prayer. And so if you have someone next to you, go ahead and take their hand. If you're on your own, just put your own two together. And I want you to take a few moments and pray, to pray a short prayer for the Lord to give you what you need. And then after that prayer time, I'll go ahead and close out, and then we'll jump into our sermon time. So let's take a moment, bow your heads, take the hand of the person next to you, and pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning, for the opportunity for us to be able to celebrate Easter, to be able to rejoice in the resurrection and the, the way our lives have been transformed because Christ, you've risen from the dead. And that changes everything. That uh, if we, as, as Paul shares in the scriptures, if, if we... Uh, are, are, are Christians and we don't have the hope of the resurrection, then we of all people are to be most pitied, Lord. We're not followers of some religion. Uh, our faith is built on the risen Christ upon a fact of history. And Lord, I pray that for those who are being a part or a part of this service this morning, who are in need of hope, God, that you would give it. That hope is not built on what we do or what we've accomplished, but it's built on the unchanging nature of our God and King. And then for the rest of us, Lord, that we would understand what it means to be hope givers. Or as you tell us in the book of Matthew chapter 5, that we are to be salt and light to a world that's tasteless and in darkness. Whatever the charge that's given to us, Lord, I pray that you would give us what we need. 
And even this morning, as we move forward and, and talk about uh, and share about your resurrection and reflect on what you've done for us, Lord, I pray for your wisdom, your thoughts, your heart to be expressed today more than anything else. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Is everybody back? I am excited to have all the kidders back and joining us today. I'll try not to bore you with the teaching. Um, by the way, Andrew and Charles, I expected a little bit more chalk on you guys. It looks like some other parents got a bit chalked up. Good for you, kids. Well done. So we're going to begin our sermon time today by starting off in the scriptures. And we're actually going to be starting off in the book of 2 Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull it out and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll also have the verses for you if you don't have a Bible readily or handy. Um, but we're going to start in chapter 1, starting in verse 3 and read until verse 6. It begins this way. Dear brothers and sisters... We can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. Paul is proud of this church. This is the second letter that is in the scriptures written to the church at Thessalonica. And in the first, Paul proclaims how proud he is of this church. Their faith has gone out in all of Macedonia. And here in 2 Thessalonians, he thanks them and commends them again. He is proud of them. He loves these guys. And one of the reasons why he's so proud of this church and why he loves them so much is because they have demonstrated perseverance in the midst of tremendous hardship. As a matter of fact, they've not only demonstrated perseverance, but they've grown in their faith and in their love through the hardship and through the persecution that they are faithfully enduring. And Paul understands that hardship is oftentimes the hammer that forges faith. And he sees that happening in this church. He tells them that he's proud of them. So it's probably not going to come to any surprise that the past couple months have been tough ones. Uh, COVID-19 has been quite the trial, quite the challenge, this being part of this pandemic. And in the process, what this has done in changing the rules of how we live, at least for this season of our lives, is it's brought out fear in a lot of different people. Fears about our health. Uh, will I get infected? Uh, will someone I love get infected with COVID-19 and have, have, uh, have some serious health issues? Uh, will I get someone sick because I was careless in some way? Because I wasn't careful enough. Uh, others have fear about uh, finances. Um, am I going to lose my job? What's going to happen if I can't make rent this month or if I can't pay my mortgage this month or next month or the month after, for that matter? How am I going to support my family? And then there are fears about the future. What's going to happen after this pandemic passes? Is it going to change irrevocably the way that we operate and care for and love one another? Church, we are living in a time of hardship. And I bring that out because I think we can relate 
to the church at Thessalonica and the charge that Paul gives to this church in the midst of their hardship is he knows that they are bearing up under much difficulty and he tells them that God is using this persecution and this hardship to make you worthy. Well, how do you like them apples? I assume, I could be wrong, but I assume that for most of you, your parents uh, were a lot like mine. Uh, my parents always wanted the best for me. Or maybe more clearly, my parents wanted what they thought was going to be the best for me. They were looking out not only for me as a kid, but for who I was going to be as an adult. And so what that meant was oftentimes because they wanted the best for me, not only in the moment, but in the future, I had to endure some pretty awful things in the moment. Uh, some of them made sense. I hated vegetables growing up. I never wanted to eat them. And my parents would force me to eat them or sit at the table for a very, very long time. Uh, and they told me that even though I, was, I, was, I just did not want to eat them, that it was good for me and that someday I would be grateful for what they had done. My parents used to make me dress nicely because they realized that someday I was going to be an adult and I couldn't just wear shorts and a t-shirt all the time. So they bought me shorts and polo shirts, these nice little, and I just had to wear them to school. And I told them that people were going to make fun of me, but they told me it was for my best and that someday when I was an adult, I would appreciate what they were teaching me and training me in now. My mom made me get a perm three different times because my hair stands up and she told me that I couldn't have this haircut as an adult. So she was hoping the perm would cause my hair to soften and lie down. And I cried and I screamed and I told my mom, no, please don't make me do this. I'm going to be completely humiliated. And yet I, I, I obeyed my parents. Um, and my mom told me that someday I would appreciate it because no adult could possibly walk around with a flat top unless they were going to be in the military. And so I would appreciate what she was doing someday. Well, it went kind of how you would expect. It went badly for me in middle school, it went quite badly for me in early high school as well. I got made fun of wearing pants and polo shirts to school. I got made a fun of tucking my shirt into my shorts when I was in school. I don't know why I never thought to just pull it out after I was at school, but whatever. Um, I got called Cotton Top and Fufu Bunny and a number of other names for having a perm. So I was rocking it, but it was rough. And so 30 some odd years later, here I am looking back. And, uh, and in some ways, my parents were right. They were right about the vegetables. It was good for me. And now I actually enjoy most vegetables. Um, it's ironic. I'm actually in a job right now where I can wear shorts and a t-shirt most of the time. <laughs> and of course, I'm still rocking the flat top, kind of, sort of. So things might not have worked out how my parents thought they would, uh, would 30 some odd years ago. But uh, you know what was the most important thing that I learned in that? God showed me that uh, many times over that he blesses those who honor their parents. And that was a lesson I needed to learn. It's a lesson that's made me a better father. It's a lesson that's made me, it's a, that made me much more compassionate for the underdogs and for those who uh, don't quite feel like they fit in. Every trial and every hardship by design is difficult 
in the moment. And our experience with COVID-19 and the fear that has gone along with that is no different. But we're going to get through this. And when we do get through this and we end up on the other side, I think the challenge and the charge that we're going to face is when we look, right, uh, or when we seek God, our Lord and our King, are we going to be able to offer him a, a growing and flourishing faith? Or are we going to be the same worried, fear-filled person that we were before we went through this trial? Will God commend us for being worthy of the kingdom? And worthy of kingdom meaning holding fast to Jesus in the midst of trials. Or are, is the Lord going to simply shake his head at us and look upon us with pity? We decide, don't we? Endure persevere through seasons of hardship. We will get to the other side of this. And my prayer is that we would do so with a stronger faith and deeper conviction and stronger character. Verses seven through 10. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted. And also for us, when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. And that includes you, for you believed when we told you about him. I love Easter. I love Easter Sunday. I love even the opportunity and blessing of being able to teach on Easter Sunday. And one of the reasons why is because Easter is filled with hope. But before we jump into understanding hope, I think it's important for us to distinguish between hope and optimism. Optimism is the tendency to expect the best possible outcome in a certain given situation. So it's the, it's the idea of positive thinking or don't worry, be happy. And uh, it, that viewpoint on life can oftentimes skew facts in order to fit our sentiment. And it's important to realize that Optimism is not always tied with faith. It's not even always tied with hope for that matter. And the reason why is because optimism doesn't always fit reality. Bad things do happen to good people. Christians and non-Christians alike will both get and even die from COVID-19. Uh, clean and righteous living doesn't always lead to sunshine, pretty clouds, and unicorns. And just because you want something badly enough doesn't always mean you're going to get it. This is where optimism goes wrong. Optimism tends to look at the immediate results of an immediate circumstance. Hope is different. Hope is built on the character and on the nature of God. Hope is not tied to circumstances. Instead, what hope does is look beyond circumstances to see the God who is orchestrating circumstances to accomplish his purposes. And that's what Paul is doing for this church that he loves. Paul isn't promising God's people a way out of their persecution or freedom from hardship. That's not his place. Paul doesn't have the right or the power or the authority to offer that type of comfort. Instead, what Paul is doing is he's reminding them that this persecution you're enduring, it's not going to last forever. This hardship, it will not last 
Because someday soon, Jesus, the king, he is returning. And when he does, every injustice will be set right. Every hurt will be healed. And the brokenness of our lives will be once again made whole. That is the basis of our hope. Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of our hope. And what Paul offers is hope through Christ. And the reality, so now that we understand hope, the reality that forms the foundation of hope is the resurrection. In an earlier, another book, uh, another letter that Paul wrote to another church, he wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, Paul shares these words. He says in 15 verses 3 to 4, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. So Paul's saying, this is the most important message that I've been given. And my charge is not to learn from it and to receive it, but to share and pass it on to others. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as as the scriptures said. This is what we call the gospel story shared as succinctly as possible. Jesus, the perfect son of God, gave himself, gave up his life, dying so he might take on the penalty of the sins we have committed. Just like the prophets, just like the Bible, just like God said he would do. And then three days later, from death, he conquered the grave. Jesus rose from the dead, just like the scriptures, just like Jesus himself said that he was going to do. This isn't a movie. You understand? This is history. This isn't Jumanji where you get three different lives, right? You get three lives to live. That's not the way this world works. Jesus this has Jesus dying, being buried, and rising from the get, dead is historical fact. And I know it sounds crazy. It sounds unbelievable. So much so that there are a lot of people in the world who want to twist it or say it's not historical because it's crazy and because it's unbelievable. But I just want to say that just because something is crazy or unbelievable doesn't make it not historical fact. So a lot of history is crazy. Ketchup, before it was a condiment, it was actually sold as a cure for indigestion. Bet you didn't know that. Abraham Lincoln was in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Abraham Lincoln. His record was around 300 wins and one loss. Many of the great disasters of our time, Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, the Challenger explosion, the Exxon Valdez oil spill, they were all caused by a common denominator. Do you know what that was? Lack of sleep. Crazy and unbelievable historical facts doesn't make history untrue. Doesn't make those historical uh, events uh, magically disappear and non-existent, right? And that includes the gospel story. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Ours is the only faith that's built upon history and not on some long list of beliefs. Here's the difference though. Here's what distinguishes the gospel from every other fact in history. Your personal decision to either believe or disbelieve the gospel will determine your eternal state. Your decision to believe will lead you to eternal life with God. And your decision to turn your back on Christ and disbelieve will lead you to eternal separation from God. Whether this, this decision that you make is going to define whether you will have an eternal hope or suffer through eternal loss. 
This is why Christians, as Christians, we're called to share the good news. This is why we share the story of Jesus with others. It's because we have been charged to offer to the entire world the news, the story of what God has done for us so that everyone would have the information they need to make an eternal decision. News that is so simple that even a child can believe. And if that's a decision point that you have not yet come to, I pray that you would come to that today. And to put yourself in that line of saying, which will I choose? Whom will I choose? Going back to Paul's letter in 2 Thessalonians, Paul is reminding the church in this passage that because you, church, because you chose Jesus, because you have chosen Jesus Christ who is authenticated as the Son of God through the resurrection, you now have an eternal hope that is far greater than any trial, than any persecution, than any difficulty, than any hardship that you could possibly be facing and going through right now. That is the perspective that Paul gave the church at that time and the perspective that the scriptures give to us today. When we face trials and hardship today, what hope does is it looks beyond our current circumstance to see the work of God beyond circumstance. To find God's strength to be able to endure whatever we're going through in the moment. Or another way of saying it, what we hope for must always be secondary to what and whom we hope in. So let's close out this chapter, uh, verses 11 and 12. So we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live and you'll be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul closes his uh, thoughts here with an encouragement. And the encouragement is, you are not in this alone. We are in this together. And the tie that binds us together is prayer. Prayer is what unites us through Christ. And it is through prayer that we will see victory and that we will see honor. I want you to read carefully as we go back to this passage, the way Paul prays for them. Did you see it? He said, may he, God, give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. How amazing a declaration is that? I'm going to say it again. Paul's prayer, not only for the church at Thessalonica, but we can take that on for ourselves too. Paul's prayer is that God would give us the power to accomplish all of the good things that our faith prompts us to do. A common theme throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, is that in the midst of difficult times, we turn to prayer. And that's collectively, right? Whether it's as families, as churches, as a nation, or as as a people. uh, Whenever we go through hardship, whenever we go through persecution, whenever we go through trials, whenever we go through difficulty, prayer is the charge given to God's people. Prayer to pray to the Lord, to watch him move. Uh, Pray for strength and honor to do what God prompts you to do in the midst of hardship and trial. Uh, Pray that Jesus would be honored and that his name would be lifted up. 
uh, pray for grace, which is God's favor given to us even when we don't deserve it. And one of the many promises God has given us when we pray is found in 1 John where the disciple shares in 1 John 5. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Ask in line with God's will and know that God will respond. 